This is a trigger warning from the legal department. Just reminding you that this shit is pretty heavy. And that's okay. Take a deep breath. Don't forget to hydrate. Wash your fucking hands. Hello, humans. Welcome back for another installment of the Revenue Reel Hotline. Ah, it is a beautiful, beautiful autumn day, or about to be autumn day, right before Labor Day on the Jersey Shore. And I gotta say, man, when I started this podcast, I dreamed of of conversations like this one, and episodes like this one, with human beings like this man. Ah, all right, friends, today we've got Shelton Banks on the hotline. And for those of you that are not familiar with this powerhouse human, this dude is one of the founders of Sales for the Culture, which is a black community um, for, for human beings in the tech sales space. He's also the CEO of Rework. So Rework is almost, it's like a feeder program that is helping to inject more black humans into tech sales. And in many ways, Sales for the Culture is addressing the retained black humans in the tech sales space. Two of our root cause problems, which are business problems, right? When we're talking about diversity and inclusion specifically. But the difference between Shelton Banks and talking about diversity and inclusion in tech is that Shelton Banks is doing something about it and not just doing something, doing lots of things. And the impact that they're starting to have there, I mean, it's undeniable. I think the numbers um, for those that have graduated from his eight-week program uh, have moved from an average income of 17,000 to 40,000, which I would imagine is a starting salary in tech sales. And when I think about what that means, right, specifically economic participation, and reducing the restrictions around participating in the economy um, by, you know, making this high-earning profession more attainable. I mean, Christ, man, this is this is what this is what it means. This is where it's at, uh, one human being at a time. And so, anyway, today on the show, we talk. We talk about unlearning um, and just like leaning into conversations without agenda or prep. We talk talent and workforce redevelopment and reskilling. We talk diversity and inclusion problem statements. We talk about retaining humans in the back uh, in the tech space. We talk business problems. We talk <laughs> silence and avoidance. We talk communities. We talk creating space. For weakness, um, particularly with men, and, and doubly so, triply so, quadruply so for, for black men. Again, creating space for weakness. We talk how the lack of feedback um, creates doubt in the minds of your, your people. We talk how executives have been responding to the diversity inclusion conversation and, you know, readiness for change. We talk about how superficial 
the the talking point diversity and thought of experience can be um, and I'm talking to myself when I say that I didn't even know that that was a thing we talk about the massive business mistake that companies make by ignoring or excluding the 17 trillion dollars of purchasing power that is our black communities we talk the road to inclusion which um, Shelton brilliantly points out starts at diversity and exclusion. We talk about the psychological impact of code switching. We talk even a little bit of gender and and mental health in, in tech sales. We talk how to get involved in the cause. And most importantly, friends, we talk human. For anybody interested in joining the conversation, definitely hit us up on the hotline at 646-470-0248. That is 646-470-0248. Yeah, great chance that that if anybody calls in with thoughts, man, those are going to end up on the show, and I'm excited about that. And we're starting to ramp up the the sponsorship efforts, friends, and the Grow the Show efforts, friends. So if anyone feels inclined to, you know, leave a review for the show, that would be amazing. Tell a friend, also amazing. And if anyone knows any organizations um, that are interested in aligning with the card-carrying human values of the show, um, you know, send them our way. And with that... I'm going to stop talking, and I bring you the great, the great powerhouse black man-human that is Shelton Banks. Enjoy. Oh my, oh my God, Shelton Banks. I'm so fucking excited right now. Welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline. Okay, what were you saying now? I was saying I started Orange Theory today just because I was uh, put on the dress shirt last week. And uh, I had to like suck in my neck. <laughs> it was like from sitting an entire year in the house with a two-year-old. And I'm like, oh, I got to do something about it. And I was like on camera, you know, I got a something coming out in a couple of days. Yeah. And they saw sent me the preview. And I was like, my face is so fat. Like, oh my God, COVID, what have you done to me? It's so funny. It's I, I'm going into the city. So I'm on the Jersey Shore. I know you're in Chicago. I'm I'm going into the, and I've lived in the city for like 15 years, but got out right before COVID. And, but anyway, you know, so same thing, like, but getting dressed. And so I, yesterday I put on heels, right? And so I started, there's a, a brand, I now shop now exclusively for comfort. So if that's an indication of my age, like, and these are, they're, oh, called, man. They're, called cloud, they're called cloud walkers and, and on Zappos, right? I'll set those filters right at those five stars. That's all I'm being shown. Like, I don't, I don't even want to see. And so I too am breaking into it and no comment on my favorite pair of J brands that I was going to wear on how tight they may or may not be and uh, but uh i'll have to i'll have to cross that bridge when i get to it tomorrow morning so i feel you there on all fronts COVID, COVID. dressing for comfort yeah i feel like i'm not too long. i got i got on <laughs> you know the nike basketball shorts walk around with t-shirts and i'm just like people accept it now hop on calls and they're like oh dude welcome to the welcome <laughs> it's so funny okay um all right so let's get the business out of the way yeah. the target audience is the experienced tech seller The theme of the show, conversations about uncomfortable conversations in tech sales or sales. Mm -hmm. The, there is only one rule and that is that there are no fucking rules. Oh, I love it. This is a judgment-free zone, a mistake-friendly zone, a tangent-friendly zone, 
and we keep it fun. We keep it real. Oh, and you're allowed to fucking curse. You can do whatever the hell you want on my show, Shelton. So as far as I'm concerned, and I generally reserve the last 10 minutes for our, I have like these two questions that I'll ask at the end of two questions that I ask at the end of every show. And so I'll save the last 10 minutes for those. Um, and then God, what else was I going to say? I think that's it. All right. So let me see what I got. I got it. This the audience is experienced tech sellers. There are no rules to this show. So I can say whatever I want. All tangents are welcome. Two questions at the end of the show. Are you ready? So save the last 10 minutes. Yeah. And All right. um, I normally do a blurb about everybody at the beginning. So consider like, let's just assume that I've introed you and everybody like kind of knows who you are and who I'm talking to. All right. um, so we could just, we can just assume that. All right. So I made a list of things that we could. Oh, and then actually before, have you, did you get a chance to listen to any of these episodes? Do you have any I idea did. what you've gotten yourself involved in? Maybe like one and a half, but not really. I feel like a horrible <laughs> salesperson where it's just like, you, you just talk on a call with no agenda and just like you're gonna wing it for real like what it's called like yep i'm gonna wing it this it's is so sales. funny i Not had to sales <laughs> i like it no you know what i had to so i sold for a decade i was raised by a sales leader right and so i sold for a decade right so it's in the dna and i had to unlearn and then i switched to sales enablement so i too have a passion for talent right development and cultivating and reskilling right all that shit um i <laughs> Had, there's a couple of things that I had to unlearn, right? Which is yeah. remember, so looking at your calendar, right? And counting the number of meetings, if you don't have enough meetings, right? So that, that hyper busy, right? That was one of them. And then the second was over preparing for meetings, right? So just to be able to show up and be present. So I feel you on both fronts and you could actually make the case that what you're describing is uh, right on par with, with the experienced um, human being that oh. knows how to you know, let go of all the bullshit prep yep. shit and yep. just be real. This is it. I, I trust the process. I got a process. I trust it. It's like, who we are. Let's go. Come on. Let's okay. Go. So I wrote down a bunch of shit that we could possibly talk about. I'm going to read all you right. the list and oh. then you choose where we start. All right. Okay. So obviously rework, um, right. which is fucking baller. The same, uh, the shared passion around rescaling, um, driving economic participation, right? So I could get onto this soapbox, right? From the gender perspective. And so looking at the IMF, but anyway, I know what it, what it feels like to look at the numbers on a macro level and see that we're moving backwards or have made no progress. Um, and so can certainly relate to not only that, but also doing something about it, Yeah. Um, which is fucking baller and taking down the stigma that nonprofits can't make money. Love it. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, that's a tangent. <laughs> obviously. So this, the sales community. So one of the things that I don't generally advertise, I have been like the de facto co-pilot over at Rev Genius yeah. all year. And so I really love and respect what you guys are doing at sales for the culture. Right. So that's a massive one. Um, and then I wrote retention, but I caught in the quote that you did with the, the bruise conversation that it's a whole nother therapy session. Once you get a black human into the tech space and then like try to get like retaining is now like is now the, the also a massive part of the, the name of the game. But I guess which brings us full circle, like I, I, I like starting with defining like a problem statement. And so this would be like, if I had a vote, like starting with the problem statement of what is the problem with diversity and tech 
right now in your opinion? And so mm. that's my list. So rework, reskilling, economic participation, nonprofits can make money, the whole nother therapy session that is retaining um, humans that do not fit into the white male or white category. Um, oh man, you just like, yeah. So this I dropped is, it all on you. Yeah. I dropped it all on you. Okay. So now with that, I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. toss it back to you. Where do you want to start? Okay. So I like this problem statement idea. All right, let's do it. Yeah. I like this problem statement idea. And I feel like it, uh, we are like going this journey and we will probably cover almost like every bucket, some of the stuff that you said. So like reskilling, kind of like touches the nonprofit in a little bit the whole like what's the problem with diversity in the tech space like that you know that's a rant and i don't want to like spend a whole now this uh, is a tangent friendly zone look you get up on that damn soapbox and i'll cheer you on i know all right let's do this let's do the problem statement yeah all right so i'm going to give you just a quick caveat I wrote an article last year for Sales Hacker on mental health, right? The greatest competitive advantage you'll ever know, mental health. And I go deep into the problem, specifically the root cause problem, which is management skill development, in my opinion, uh, and my experience. I started writing a second one that was going to be similar on gender and sales. It had expanded, right? Because in the wake of um, George Floyd, right? I'm not just writing about gender while we're still murdering Black people with impunity. And so... But I started, I did tons of interviews, about 40, and I started each conversation with, do we have a problem, right, a diversity of gender, like whatever it was in tech sales, yes or no. And then if yes, what what's the problem statement, like one or two sentences max. And that was the almost the baseline that each of these interviews began with, just so I can get it. And it blew me away that there was only one white man that I spoke with that was able to nail the problem statement, which then suggests, if you take that a step further, that we don't stand a chance of solving for something, right? You mentioned about how rare it is to have a group of humans align around a certain problem. Imagine when one human is not even touching on the actual problem and then still with that intent to go do something about it. So I'm dying to hear your problem statement oh my god come on you're in it oh my goodness like where are you you're you're like egging me on and i'm just like man i don't want to vomit because you you've touched on so many so i'm like how right, i gotta i gotta like be can i want to be i want to be concise but at the same time i do want to go on a mini rant so let's talk about let's talk about the problem statement i feel like it's a it's a really really big one right so i touch four different areas in the work that i do right i touch diversity and inclusion I touch workforce development and kind of like that nonprofit upskilling space. I touch the tech industry. And I touch business development, sales, like salespeople, right? Which is like, you know, tech by itself. When people think tech, oftentimes they think of like, uh, you know, coding IT and just like the educational piece that goes into like explaining what sales is to somebody from like myself, for example, who so cut code knives at one point in his life is something like completely different. Like tech sales is not selling cut code knives, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so for me, when I think about diversity and inclusion, the problem statement is kind of like the almost like the 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 brain or the switch that goes on when you mention diversity and inclusion versus when you mention sales and business development and driving revenue right they're like two different switches that happen oftentimes right so when i think of business development and sales 
I think of business problems. Like we got to solve a business problem. You talk about driving revenue. That's a business problem that we have to solve. And people put their business hats on to solve those problems, right? You like structure and process. And there's no like feelings involved in the, the business problem, right? Some emotional empathy, but for the most part, we're like locked in focused process. We say diversity and inclusion, and all of a sudden we get this nonprofit charitable, like, oh, like, like bring out a puppy dog, Channel 11, donate a dollar to a kid in West Africa type of feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and people get really overly sympathetic about like, like the business process goes out the window, right? Where it's just like this different hat comes on. And then where crap hits the fan is when you have that sympathetic, like, oh, I just want to help somebody like, you know, my heart is on my wearing my emotions on my sleeve about this topic. And then you let somebody uh, get a job and you didn't think about the business ramifications behind it. And then when they're not hitting their number, if they're in a sales role, you can't be upset because you didn't have your business hat on in the first place. And then, you know, what complicates it even more is because there's this like there's so many social nuances. There's a lack of communication. There's a cultural uh, cultural EQ um, element to it um, is what happens on both sides. And both sides are usually wrong when it comes to this. So if I'm talking a white male manager that's leading the sales because you had your your. you, you didn't have your your business hat on. You had your social element hat on. You hired somebody, and because it's your first, if if you're working like in an organization where they're the only person of color, you're scared. Nobody, if you're a white male, and I've talked to plenty of you know executives about this. Like no white male wants to catch a lawsuit or be canceled on Twitter or like be posted on the internet of being like the racist person in the organization. And so for that reason, they're like gonna stay away from like the ignorant space of like I don't know how to, I don't know what to say how to say it avoid it that's yeah i'm gonna avoid it right Right. so i'm gonna treat you i'm not gonna coach you i'm just gonna like keep you away and you're slowly gonna get frustrated you're probably gonna quit and be upset but for on paper you're justified the manager is justified because the the employee just went down here right then on the community side because you didn't communicate and because the stigma exists of like i gotta be twice as fast i gotta go twice as hard like i gotta be the strongest person i can't be weak and if you're a black male it's even worse because Mm -hmm. it's just like i can't be weak i have no safe space to be weak i gotta be strong then you don't communicate when you're in trouble when you have a problem you haven't been taught there's no rule book there's no like guidelines that help you just like articulate your feelings of weakness in the right way and so you go on and on and carry this load until you're on a performance plan and your managers like may say something triggering like are, are we really sure that this is a good fit for you and you like dude like what do you mean like this is a good this, yeah this is a good fit for me <laughs> yeah and because they said it in such an insensitive way and because they don't have osmosis and can't read your mind as a person of color you're like this person's racist and you go on this rant and you leave having a bad experience, but it usually all stems from this, like, ah, People got their social hat on versus their business hat on. And it's okay, like fair Okay. okay. I oh, love, dude. I love everywhere that you just said, and I'm laughing. So just right off the bat for anyone that's listening, that is curious about how to keep people engaged. Right. And, and not walking away. That absence of feedback is almost a guarantee um, on, on the good and on the bad side, right. Especially on the bad side. And so in the absence of feedback, you create a space where lots of doubt lives and that doubt can be, especially in sales, like, especially 
paralyzing. Um, but Sheldon, I'm, I'm chuckling because as you were like, normally I cut people off and I'm like, uh, you know, not when I'm recording and I'm going to publish this for all of time. And so everyone can hear how I interrupt excessively, but I wouldn't do it on the podcast, but the exercise on the problem statement, like this is what is so, oh, I have a green belt in process design. And so this is one of the first exercises that we'll do when you get a group of stakeholders or whatever together. And even when I was creating programs um, at my last sales enablement job, get all the leadership team together and say, okay, you guys want to do a training on discovery. All right, let's talk about what's what are we solving for, right? For starters. And then what's our success metric going to be? And, and that's like a full... 45 minute conversation, a half hour, if you're lucky, just to hone in on the problem statement. And as you were talking, I was like, God damn, like, I don't think I would have been able to come up with this one, but I'm <laughs> going to simplify it. There are three types of problems to simplify it. Right. And this counts for the diversity, inclusion, the nonprofit, the upscaling, and even the sales stuff. And those are business or not business problems. Those are um, technology problems. There are process problems and there are human problems. And it is far easier to try to solve something that you assume is a request. Most of the time it's symptoms um, with a tech purchase because it's fucking easier than going after a process or human problem. And the challenge though, is there is no such thing as a tech that is going to solve a human problem. There is in, in some instances, you could get lucky with a tech purchase that could like a, with a good seller that can also address the process issues. Um, but at the end of the day, when you really get into it, it really comes down to miscommunication or like communication problems um, or skill development problems. And when I was first explained taught that I, I was actually doing a work with a nonprofit. It was a full project. And we had customized the project plan because it was a nonprofit and it was a, a legal aid in Chicago, actually. Um, and whatever, long story short, the woman that was training me to be a facilitator comes and whispered in my ear after we spent a full fucking day with the project team on sussing out the root cause and says, you know, by the way, it's almost always communication or skill development, which there's a, a, a tangent there on how I didn't believe that at first, but she's spot on. So, you know, sorry, process improvement consultants that I just like, you know, the, there goes your $20,000 project because <laughs> <laughs> that's really what we're solving for. But anyway, that said, when we have not honed in on what we're actually solving for, whether we're calling a business problem, whether we're calling it a human problem, or whether we're calling it a process problem, we got about zero chance of moving the needle. And this is why we look at, I think the lack of progress on the DNI front in tech in particular is what, where I would, would hone in on as the problem statement right now, we've yeah. not made hardly any progress. And I look at rework and I look at sales for the culture that is absolutely moving the needle. And, you know, one of the COVID gifts I think is that the cracks in our society that have taken decades right? And decisions after decisions to reinforce them, they have split apart so exquisitely that nobody can fucking deny that there's a big ass crack over there in the corner that people are actually falling into now. And so the, the conversations that are starting because of the, the current state of affairs is certainly, I, I'm very hopeful, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So with that, I'm going to pause and you're not in your head. Like, what's that you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're absolutely right. Like, you're absolutely right. If I'm, and it's, it's funny because you, you broke it down like human problems, process problems. And the last one is business problems. Tech right? problems, tech, tech problems. problems. You have to break down the percentage of like, you know, 
I only work on problems for businesses, but I include nonprofits like the legal aid organization in Chicago, the number one that was supplying content, both for other legal aids in Chicago and for um, that organization itself in multiple different languages. So access to justice, justice. Yeah. Um, Those are business problems too. And so it's almost like an overarching category um, that falls like the human, the process and the tech problems that I've been working on really forever um, fall into those categories too. Man, man, spot on. Spot on. So then like, so, so, so where do we go from here? Right. So I, 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 I want to hear about rework and I want to hear, I know you've, you've, I, some of the stats listeners just so, so we're clear and, and, and Shelton connect or uh, update them if, if my numbers are dated, but it's moving people from an income of 17,000 to 45,000 to start right for an entry, like I would assume an entry level um, position in tech sales. I know your program is eight weeks and you have impacted hun- uh, over a hundred people at this point. 200. We, 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 we love what is it? 200. 200. Okay. So over, so 200 people. Yep. Then I'm obviously sales for the culture, giving people a space, um, to have these real conversations, both to maybe feel less crazy, feel less alone, but also, and to work on our own limiting beliefs and biases, right? And so I'm talking and pointing at myself when I say that, but also to to address the retention and maintaining your status in this place, even though it gets really fucking hard and dark and ugly and, and lonely. Um, and so I think of all the work that, that I'm sure sales for the community or sales for the culture is doing too. Oh my God. And then the sales all like stars podcast with mercy and like, I love that shit too. but anyway, so like, why don't I'm going to put the link to the episode that I just listened to on the bruise into the show notes so people can hear your story in there, but I'd almost like to skip ahead to like, what are you working on now? What are you seeing um, what, like, where are you seeing the markets going? How are, how are executives responding to the conversations that you're having, um, on either front? Yeah, I think they're, they're responding relatively well. Or some of them are, I say like, it's a 50, 50 split, no, 33, 33, 33, <laughs> more appropriate. Okay. Like um, so the, the 33% that are responding well, I mean, b- between rework and sales for the culture, I think. For anybody that really wants change, we provide this space to be to be really psychologically safe and to have this like moment of ignorance. I mean, I feel like, you know, when you talk talk about human problems and like communication problems, I feel like on both sides of the coin, there's just ignorance that exists that just kind of needs to 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 get out. And so we've created this space outside of your job where HR is not present to be able to kind of facilitate those conversations and those, those biased uh, opinions that individuals have in this, this, the safe space where it's just like safe, brave, the space where it's like, Oh man, I, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a, a, a black guy that, and so my story, if I'm a black guy that grew up on 103rd in Michigan, which is the hood of Chicago in a low income neighborhood where per capita income is 17 K I grew up around 98% black people. Only visuals of like anybody outside of that were were TV. And so for me, a stigma was like, man, I thought all white people had good credit. And I'm like, can I ask that question to somebody like, no, when do I get to ask that question? Right. But now, you know, I'm in this one. I'm growing my network and I get to like ask those those questions. 
but it's an exchange for something, right? So for, from a rework standpoint, I get to ask those questions and kind of like provide anybody. If I'm a candidate, I get to the, the cultural element that I bring that's missing for most tech companies. I get to bring that. And that's what, that's my value, right? That I just like have this diverse perspective. I have, you know, a different perspective, but then if you're a, a volunteer, right? So if you work at a tech company, if you're a white male and you're like, how can I give back? You get to give back of your talent, your time where you're going to come and volunteer and teach somebody the things necessary to, and, and so um, in, in doing that, like, a lot of great conversations around like, man, I can see how this moves the needle. A lot of people have been hired organically of like, man, I came to volunteer. I met somebody. They were human. Man, I, I was mistaken about some of the beliefs I have. And now I can affect somebody's life and help them get a job. And it, it, it wasn't that hard. And so 33% of people have done a great job of, of doing that and adopting to that. Another 33% still try to check the box. So I get, you know, plenty of organizations that reach out and, you know, I, I hate this language. And this is why we don't consider ourselves a diverse staffing agency. And this is why we don't charge for a, a placement fee. Well, I get organizations that will reach out and say, you know, uh, we, we're all white and I need I heard you got black people over there. Uh, I got 500 bucks. Like, how much do you charge per black person? Like, is that like. I need a black person. I give you $500 for a bl per black person. Can you help me out? And it's just like, oh, okay. Like, hey, you, you gotta, like, oh no, I can't send you anybody. You have a, you, you have other issues. So we have, we have to talk through these other issues first. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes they don't want to talk through them or they don't want to, I say like, Hey, you need to come volunteer. And they're like, oh, we don't want to volunteer. We just want you to send us your black people. And it's just like, well, they're not going to come there. If they do come there, they're going to leave in, in less yeah. than 90 days. Like you're really toxic. And like, you know, you're not going to change. And so that's 33%. Uh, and then the other 33%, which is, you know, interestingly, and this is new, and it may be less than 33, but I'm starting to see more organizations attempt to do it themselves, where, uh, you know, they're like, well, we'll start this program similar to rework or similar to attempt to fix our diversity problem. But again, they, they go at it from like this social impact side instead of business impact side. And it's like, dude, I've been doing this. We, rework is five years old and you want to start from scratch and reinvent the wheel like good luck <laughs> like, like i'll see you in yeah. six months when this when this messes up but but overall i mean it's, it's, it's been positive it's been positive you know it's this idea of social versus business like i think that um the most important aspect of anything that I've ever done, and I'll go through it, has been team selection, right? So the human part of things, and this is, I'm going to diversity of thought, diversity of experience, diversity of the collective, that then it's like a rising tide raises all ships. And so I, so I worked with a D1 college basketball program in college for four years, I, when I was selling, and so learned about Mm, just like the importance of recruiting really, because you know how quickly those kids move through the program. And if you're not always on that front of the pipeline, right, your team in three years is not going to be very good. And so like, and, and participated with the recruiting efforts. And so like really got to understand the math of, of that side of things. Then when selling right and moving up and I finished at Thomson Reuters. Um, so selling information enterprise 
the most important thing that I was looking for when I started deals or would, would move deals um, like through different stages was the team selection, right? I needed somebody in legal. I needed somebody in IT. I needed somebody, you know, that was an executive sponsor times one, two, three, right? I wouldn't do a collective demo until I had at least three. But anyway, I was looking for the humans to participate on the buying fucking team. Then when it was process improvement, same thing, like I like pulling in and we're talking about the project team itself and steering committees, right? So this is when you're working with large organizations, you put two teams in place to keep the fucking project on the rails. And so, and, and I'm talking about pulling, I like, I had to make the case to pull in naive questioners, which, which is something that RJ and I talk about on the last episode, right? So putting a person, giving them a seat at the table that has no idea what they're fucking talking. They, they don't know any of it because, but it presents a brand new person perspective. But again, it elevates the dialogue and the thinking and the strategy and the brainstorming of the collective. And so this idea that that people or others, right, will separate the social from the business aspect of the diversity of thought, diversity of experience, diversity of perspective. I, I mean, it just, it, it doesn't compute for me. Like clearly you haven't read anything in a while, right? Because this, the science that supports every word that you and I are talking about is coming out in droves now. And so, but anyway, like it's still rare to see those that are willing. Oh, and then, so that I'll pause on that. And then the second one, knowing that you're not going to agree with this one, like I'll go, let's, let me toss out another one that you may agree with. The second one is that is the volunteering aspect and immersing yourself in the conversation. And Shelton, if I'm being fucking honest, I started this podcast. It's one big ass deep practice exercise for myself to have these uncomfortable conversations so that I can then teach others how to put themselves in uncomfortable situations above and beyond, which is what selling is really, especially as you move up through the enterprise or like move up from transactional to enterprise. Um, it, it's for me to, to practice and to like get back into it. And also again, um, empower others that are looking to, you know, put in the work to go surround yourself with a group of people that you haven't been exposed to based on tons of factors and listen and drop the assumptions and, you know, and just kind of go from there. And so you're on a show that the, the, that these values are deeply baked in, um, to, to all things. All right. So now you got me on a rant. You, 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 we've, we've come to a rant, Amy, you got me there. You, you like kept throwing fuel on the fire and now, now we're here. So for me, so you mentioned like this diversity of thought and diversity of experience. And it's like, I'm gonna be honest. Like, I don't care about, I don't, I don't care about that. Like that's, I, I do, but like probably like maybe 20% that that's what I care. You know, I don't care about the diversity of thought aspect when it comes to like bringing, you know, diversity and inclusion to the do tech. You think there's, I'm sorry to interrupt. Do you think there's zero sum though? Like, cause I, I kind of put it as an, what you said, diversity of race and one of the positives of injecting diversity of race is that you get diversity of thought and um, experience on top of it. So I didn't mean them to be separate, but please continue. Oh, sure. I mean, I just feel like it's almost too nuanced. It almost it almost leaks just a little bit into the social impact side of things when people say like, oh, like okay. I asked the question, like, why do you want to, you know, the company comes and reaches out and I say like, what do you want to work with me? And why do you want, you know, why is diversity important? 
you know, usually it's like, oh, because it's the right thing to do. And we get diversity of thought and diversity. And it's like, oh, oh. so it's like the talking points. I hit on a fucking a talking oh, point that is just oh, like empty. Yeah. Oh, oh, OK, OK. Right. And I mean, you wouldn't you know, most people wouldn't know because it's it's, it's way more personal to me. This this is really about money. Like, oh, uh, Shelton, it's personal to me, too. Like 98 oh, percent of venture capital last year went to mostly white men. I have a uh, like successful moved out there, tried to raise my like that we're moving backwards, right? To, please make no mistake, the lack of diversity, and I know it's not the same. I definitely, no, but, but, but I, I can I, relate. Yeah, no, 100%. So I'm not saying like it's personal to me and from a, like, like, oh, you wouldn't understand. I'm saying like personal as in like a, like my mission, like the way I'm focused, like what I'm geared on. Yeah. It's like, oh, uh, right. So I mentioned I grew up 103rd in Michigan, the Roseland neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. Family, probably t- we had 10 people stay in one household, three bedroom house. Yeah. Like, you know, income levels, 17, low income neighborhood, right? Which means right. like low income schools, went to a low income Chicago public school. Like, so low income, bit, research, yeah. right? Low income business and like the lack of education. I, you know, before getting into the tech industry, I worked in the banking industry and I couldn't tell you how many people like don't from in black and brown communities don't like to work with banks because like, you know, who who taught me how to balance a checkbook? Can't tell you how many overdraft fees that I got just from not knowing little things like, you know, the business day of a Monday. If I get gas on a Sunday, like it's not going to post. And when my Spotify subscription comes out, I'm about to get hit with this thirty four dollar overdraft fee times 10 plus an extended because nobody taught me how. And so now because I don't trust banks, couldn't get my feedback. I'm probably going to keep my money in other places. I'm going to go to currency exchanges, right? And now that cripples over when you look, think about the businesses in low-income communities. It's like the businesses now run into the same problems of, of like, instead of using the, the, sec, the technology that we sell, because their consumers use cash because they don't like banks, they're going to deal with cash. And now your balance sheets are going to be low. And on paper, if a startup is looking where to start targeting their audience, you look at a Dun and Bradstreet's report and you see like, man, all these businesses and like these businesses in black communities, you know, the revenue that they're generating, like there's no money there is what one might think. There's no money there. Right. But on the flip side, the black African-American buying power is a little bit over 17 trillion dollars. But it's like, man, how do we get to 17 trillion dollars? Like, but it's not on a spreadsheet. And from working in banking and being, it's like, ah, oh, it's it's largely in part due to cash, right? But because most tech companies aren't going to go there, and I give you, you know, I worked that one, and I know this. I worked that one tech company, but like this. So my my, my first job in tech sales, uh, after I get through training, I, I started to notice ninety eight percent of the employees at this company were white, and ninety eight percent of the book of business that I called into was white, right? No. Chicago-based organization, no businesses from where I grew up at. And so I slowly started to start to, to, to put and call businesses where I grew up at. And I got pushback. Like I got feedback and I'll never forget this. I got, I, I sold to a business and they Googled this business and they saw that it had bars on the window and they said like, whoa, do we really want to do business here? Like this business has bars on the window. Is there any money here? Like, I don't know if we want to deal with it. And I'm like, there's money there, right? And I spent a whole three months of just calling nothing but businesses of color. And my first month, I got so much pushback. Like, what are you doing? Why are these businesses in our database? Like, why are you calling? Like, this is a waste of time. 
And three months later, I started to cash $10,000 commission checks because it slowly started to pay up, right? And only I knew that that was value in it because of my perspective that I brought. But $10,000 in the, you know, in the bank does a that's lot. Like that's diversity of experience oh, yeah. and perspective that brings business results. Like 100%, you're, no, yeah, yeah 100%, 100%. But like without the breakdown, without the breakdown, it oftentimes get left and just like that's diversity of thought. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Like what explain to me, like, what does that mean? Like, how is this going to drive revenue mm-hmm. if I'm talking from a sales standpoint? Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to be selfish, like how is this going to, you know, my, my ultimate goal is like, man, everybody I get a job for gets to take that, that income back to their community and build up their community. And so like, how is you, you bringing this person in if they're, if you don't give them the autonomy to, to, to call into businesses of color where you think that there's no value and you keep doing the same old, you know. Okay. I understand what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I never thought just, about it from that perspective. Bring me in. You bring me in. It's almost like oftentimes the culture that exists almost. Uh, uh, so if I had to break down the road to inclusion, right. If we're, if we're like, how do we get to. Please in- break it down for us. Sorry. Yeah. 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 We're going to start at the opposite of inclusion exclusion right diversity and exclusion right you hire me because i'm black but now i feel excluded because the ways the culture the ecosystem is completely different after i leave exclusion next stop because i don't fit in i go home and talk to my my grandma friends and family and they tell me fake it till you make it and fake it till you make it for a black person in a 98 percent white environment is assimilation it's like i'm gonna assimilate and try to fit in and try to do these mannerisms of like you know, like I got to do these mannerisms, start to talk different, sound different, dress different. Like it, it gets interesting. Also known so listeners as code switching. Um, oh, it is fuck. If you don't know what that is, that is oh. a perfect like consult the Oracle exercise. It's <laughs> fucking exhausting, not to mention the hypervigilance oh. that is also equally exhausting and a fun Google exercise. Again, if you do not know these things, educate yourself, friends. Please code continue, switching. Sheldon. Oh, oh, and I can't tell you how what, psychologically how that affects you because then you're like, well, I don't fit in at work. Cause I'm cold switching, but then I go back to my in my neighborhood. And I don't fit in here either. Cause they're like, dude, what, what, where you been at? Like, who you been hanging around at? You, you, and You're so now talking I different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, why are you faking? Yeah, or why are you fake? Right. And so now I hit this point of differentiation, which is the third stop. The point of differentiation, where either one or two things that happen, you get to this point where like you're overly frustrated with yourself because like I've been faking it and I can't remember who I was and clearly I'm different. I get treated different, like different, like I don't get coached the same. And either you, that point of differentiation pays off. And for me, it did. Like I said, I'm going to be different. I don't care what you all say, because I'm going to make some money. And when I started making money, all of a sudden I was included. It's like, oh, dude, we love you now. Like you're included. (laughs) Or you hit the point of differentiation, you get frustrated and you go back to assimilation or back to excluded, which that's probably what 80% of the people of color end up going back to it. Like they don't make the inclusion hump because they didn't give you know, they were, yeah, I'm going to add, I'm going to add a third one onto there. Like yep. for, for me again, different, right. Different. But I, after 10 years, um, had a very up close and personal experience with the mental health care system mm. because it just got to be too much. And I had, I had moved to San Francisco at that point and it was right when me too hit. And it was, I had uh, misread or misinterpreted some kind of like book on selling early on that like I was aspiring to not feel anything negative, right? Just not like feel it. And so I got really good at 
icing out those feelings to the point where I didn't feel anything anymore. And so then when it came crashing on me, I didn't have any of the fucking tools. And I was like, okay, you know what? I need some, like, I need some, I need some professional help here. And so like part of my journey and part of my story involves that third stop. So like, you could go ahead and add that in there. Oh, and then and then then you can come back and like you know like butterfly after you know your 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 realness and your real story and your real experience that is not fucking perfect and it and friends like let's be serious i don't have shit figured out like i'm still working on it every single day and i'm sure sheldon can can attest to that Oh. <laughs> I mean, we, if we got some clothes on that like fit oh. and, you know, like we remember to shower, like that is a win for the day. That's it, man. That's <laughs> it. Oh. So let the, like, I feel like, so we got 20 minutes here at like, and I'm for the 10 minutes, but like, how do you there, Shelton, there's so many people that talk about, or at least smart people, even from all walks of life that can acknowledge the problems even if their problem statements are not perfect and up to snuff from my perspective, <laughs> but they can, but they'll spend, you know, all day, all night, all week, all month, all year, all life talking about it or ignoring it or throwing their hands up thinking, I'm not going to be able to, this is the way that it is. And you, sir, are the opposite of that. And if you, if you heard the mercy episode, she calls it like the swimmers upstream mm-hmm. and that's exhausting. But at the same time, on the off chance you haven't heard it yet today, sir, thank you for what you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I feel you and I know how hard it is. And I, I just, I respect it. And this is what impact means to me. This is what legacy means to me. And I, and I, when I see it happening, knowing the work that goes in to get to the point where you're now, you know, you've worked on yourself. You've worked on your family, you've worked on your neighborhood, and then you start to expand it out. I I just thank you. How, I mean, if you could speak to listeners that are thinking about where to make an impact, how to make an impact and moving the needle past from, okay, here's what the problem is now. I I'm acknowledging that for my lifetime, right. I'm not going to leave this earth and it having it been fixed. However, I'm going to be a part of the solution. What would you what would you say to those humans that are thinking about where to start on uh, make an impact or make a difference? Uh, come volunteer for rework reworktraining.org is probably you know probably the first place I start uh, and then put your business hat on. I mean that that you know people make this difficult. It's I, I try to make this as you know like sure this is a di- it can be a difficult conversation, but I, I, and I don't mean to oversimplify it, but if you have the experience and you've been making money, I know somebody who wants to make money that doesn't have the experience. And it could be as a simple conversation of like me connecting you saying like, Hey, Shelton, 10 years ago, let me help you learn. Let me help you make money. Simple as that. Let me help you make money. Like introduce yourself to Shelton. I'm, I'm, I'm Shelton. Amy, I'm Shelton. Let me help you make some money. Like I, I know how to make some money. I've been doing this for 10 years. Uh, Amy, you, you interested? Like, let's <laughs> no, talk I don't about like it. it. I don't like making any money. <laughs> you don't like, oh, well, the, I, you know, like, look, I can't, I can't, uh, but nine times out of 10 is like, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially if I'm, especially it's almost like I'm using again, just a little stigma to it, especially if I'm 18 year old Shelton and I'm like, man, 
my credit is bad at 18, but I think Amy has good credit. So Amy's going to come to me and say, Shelton, I'm going to help you make some money. And I'm going to help you like, like I, I can, I can show you some stuff. And like, you tell me if this makes sense. You tell me how you've been doing it, And let's see if we can make some money together. I'm all for that. Right. I'm all for that. And now we can slowly start to move the needle. Cause now we've had like some awkward conversations. We probably had a couple of beers. You're like, Sheldon, you can't do that. Like, Hey, look, to make money, you got to be on time. And this is why you got to be on time. Hey, Sheldon, you don't got to assimilate like, man, show up, wear your hoodie, wear your hat, but just know this is what, this is the hump that you're going to need to overcome. So be ready for it. You ready and to do that? this is what it feels like when you are yeah. maintaining. And these are the things that are going to fucking get jump out in, in your thoughts when you're falling asleep at night and here's what to do in the face of these things. Love yep. it. And Love give, me, it. give me, give me the big picture of like where I'm going. Cause half the time, again, a lot of people that I talk to in this work, they don't know where they're going. I didn't know I was going like at, at, at 24, like I was making a lot of money, but then it's like, all right, I spent three years at a company and I'm busting my butt and I'm making my money, but I don't have the growth. And the reality is like, sure, even with it not figured out, and it's like plenty of toxic environments that you could walk into. Every toxic environment that I've been in helped me to grow even more. <laughs> every toxic, like I got like work yeah. with the toxic. Yes, because like, we make, just... we learn from our mistakes. We learn from yeah. that's We do not learn from our wins, friends, even though they're way cooler to talk about and they're sexy and like everybody wants to like celebrate the wins. However, we learn from our mistakes. We learn from and our mistakes. What so does not kill us that. literally makes us stronger to shut me up point. Tell me like, look, I need you to go here. You're going to suck at this. Your first BDR job. I tell every candidate that comes to my door, you're going to hate this. You're going to make a hundred calls. You may have a horrible manager the, the culture like they're gonna talk to you and say this is great but i guarantee you in six months you're gonna be like oh my goodness like you all lied to me deal with it like deal with it because then you're gonna take that experience you're gonna learn how to manage yourself you're gonna manage up you're gonna learn how to deal with that you're either gonna sink or swim but you're gonna learn something you're gonna put it on your resume you're gonna go to another company you're gonna hopefully make more money at that next company you have more experience and now we're climbing the ladder but like, man, be prepared for it to suck. Like, that's, that's just look. That's just the world we live in. Like, you want to be, you know. And guess what? If it were easy, everybody would do it. Everybody would do it. Everybody. So would. when we make no apologies for that amount of work, friends, and nope. this fucking profession is work. Um. Yeah. Okay. That's amazing. So I'm like, I'm thinking about. How do you, in this program, are you sussing out? So I think when I think pit plans, right? One of the problems with the way that we as a profession burn through humans, right? Top performers and underperformers alike is that we do not differentiate between those that apply effort to grow and get better and change while learning to sell versus those that do not. You're either hitting your number or you're not. And if you're not, you're out. That said, I think that that's one of the things that, um, we like, like teams that have honed in on their employee personas, right? These are the character traits, like curiosity is one that we hear about often. I'm curious if you or how rework is sussing for effort, work effort. And I'll just use one example. I think Corey um, Kosick, the CEO of Aspireship was on the show. And I, I love what they're doing too, but they're pulling from people that have worked in different sectors, right? Retail hospitality. And so those people are excluded from the high income earning profession that is tech sales as well, because they don't fit all those boxes. And the system, the hiring system wants lookalikes, right? Worked in the similar industry, sold to a, a similar client base, whatever. 
they, their graduation rate for their program is like 10%. But I thought that that was a good number because myself, I've, I think I've trained like a thousand sellers in my career. Um, that's a good, that's a good number, right. For, especially people that are just trying it out. Like that's for those that are able or willing to work as hard as you need to work to go through the learning curve and tech sales. I don't know, like maybe I'm biased here or maybe I am incorrect. Like, but what, what have you seen? And is that something that you baked into the program or is that just like, I get to, I want to yeah. flex this a little bit. So my, my, my placement rate is 75%. Okay. So 75% of the people that that's, that's you graduate finish. Right. But where's your dropout rate at? So we 25% of people don't make it. Okay. Okay. 25% of people don't make it. 75% finish. Got it. Got it. Got it. I'm sorry. Following. Gotcha. Like we don't like, you know, certificate, like, no, I'm not giving you a certificate. Your certificate is you get a job and 75% of the people. And then after they finish 91% of the people, the 75% stay employed in the tech industry and are still in the tech industry. Like gotcha. 91%. We gotcha. do have a really high, uh, so we screen over the last five years, we've screened probably a little bit over 3000 people plus. There it is. Yeah. And there it is. we accepted less than 1%. There it is. Okay. And you know, like I, I am literally, I'm not setting, I don't want to say this like, oh, like shutting you're horrible, but like each candidate that we that we work with, almost like we intentionally set them up for failure. Like I'm gonna like day one of class, I'm teaching you sales process and the interview process at the same time in a very complex way. And week two of class, I'm putting you in a mock interview with a volunteer that's asking you some real life questions, and you're gonna suck. And you got one or two options. Like you're gonna get some feedback after that first mock interview. And you'll come back class three and you accept the feedback and we will see the growth and the adjustment that you made or you won't. And, you know, 75 percent of the people that we work with, they like it's it's a it's a wonderful thing. Like we asked them day one, like, man, we, we have them record themselves day one doing an interview and we asked them on a scale of one to 10, how do you feel like you did on this interview? And everybody will say like seven, eight, nine. Yeah, it's like Malcolm Gladwell talking to strangers. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we love, we, we overestimate oh. our, oh. our capabilities and underestimate the trust that we should give it out to others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But after yeah. we teach them the interview process mm-hmm. and after we, they do the mock interview, we ask them, how do you feel like you interviewed? If you, if you go back and reassess your, your, your interview that you did and we asked you, you said you were seven or eight, where are you now? Most people are very self-aware. They're like two, three, yeah, yeah, one, yeah. which is like, yeah. all right, you, better. You, you're a, yeah, you're in the perfect spot. Like you're gonna better. be great at this. It's so funny you say that. So I, when I start, when I'm delivering a program, so I use the speaking circuit. I know you did a TED talk. I but I couldn't find it. I was busy listening, I, and it I was dropped, looking it through. 26. It comes out in the 26th. Oh, is that why I couldn't find it? Yeah. Okay, good. I feel a little bit better <laughs> about that one. I thought I was going crazy there. Okay. But anyway, I use the speaking circuit to open opportunities. Right. And so once I was, well, actually that's not true I, I, forever, but anyway, I, um, I like, why did I mention that? Oh yeah. When I'm doing a program where I'm teaching sellers, right. The first thing and I'm the one that's delivering it, or I'm teaching someone how to deliver something. The first thing that I have to go after is that little voice in your head that says, I know that because as long as that little voice in your head is living with, I know that then your mind is going to be closed to whatever it is that we're putting here on the table. And the reality is this is a dadism that like when I was a teenager, I want to kick him in the face, but now like he's right. If, 
if you are not, this is what he would say to me when in response to that snarky teenager response is if you are not doing that, then you do not know that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that said, um, and I, I had a whole spiel like for how to neutralize that voice in your head. Because if I, and if I skip that step, I knew that I would lose half the room like right off the bat. And so, but there's a way to reframe it. And so I love that you baked that learning experience into your process for them because it gives them an aha moment to check that I know that voice moving forward on their own shelves. And that is fucking beautiful. Okay. Oh, but everybody gets that though. So not just the oh, kid. Yeah. Because from oh, a volunteer yeah. standpoint, volunteers can be like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, oh, right, come on, come on, come on <laughs> volunteer. You think you're going to be good at this? Like, all right. Y'all. It's human nature. It's, yep. in, it's, you know, it is like a little bit comforting is that we are all fucking special snowflakes, but also uh-huh. I think Robert Greene's like uh, the laws of human nature is right behind me over here. Yeah. But it's, you can, you can bring it to the bank friends or bring it to the mattress or whatever kind of cash stores that you're working with or Venmo now that you can transfer. But anyway, we're all that we're all of our default brains, regardless of gender, regardless of skin color are the same. Mm-hmm. And um, those people either work on their default brains or they do not. And those outputs, right. Those that are working on it versus those that are not are also very clear. So you can, you can derive some meaning from the actions that you're seeing around you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Shelton. So the final two questions, the, the last one is just one piece of advice, right? So we'll come back to that, but what's one piece of advice about uncomfortable conversations for, for the listeners. But before that, what is the most uncomfortable conversation you've ever had to have in a revenue context. So this could be hiring manager. This could be boss. This could be employee. This could be, um, client buyer prospect, whatever whole nine child, right? There's ripple effects for not allowing mental health into the sales conversation. So dealer's choice. Yeah. So that, 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 that was a story friend. Well, I, I made reference to it. So like that, uh, that business that I, uh, clothes that have bars on it you know the feedback so i was on a all-white sales team and you know and it was in a neighborhood that i grew up at and i mean they laughed at it they were just like like oh they just got bars on it the the, <laughs> the name of the business was lockology lock right it was just like it, it was like oh man that's this is this is gonna be interesting and i mean they laughed at it they laughed at the bars and it was like the most painful. And I like, I remember chuckling just a little bit while they were laughing and I was laughing and I couldn't, I didn't know I was laughing. It's like, man, this is where I'm from. Like I got a sense of pride here. Yeah. And I, and I went to my manager and talked about it. Like I, I went to my manager and talked about it and it was even like, what, what hurt me even more is that they didn't want to pay me for closing it. They were just like, Oh, we're not going to pay you for closing it. What? Yeah. What? And so, man, I remember talking about it, uh, and it was, man, one of the most, the, the t- cause I could just see, like, I was an individual contributor at the time and they weren't getting it. Like, it was just like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm getting it out and they weren't getting it at the time. Weren't getting the ridicule was, was connected to your it, identity. Yeah, they yeah, they didn't want to pay you on yeah, it, yeah, that yeah. there was a gap in their, their, like so yeah. many places, like the whole, the whole nine, right? any of it. And it was like the most deflating just experience that I had ever had in my entire sales career of like, man, I, 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 yeah, I, I've, I rarely in my career have felt like, dude, I'm, you know, 
this is hopeless yeah like i'm this you know this is this is what being black in tech feels like you know like there are plenty of tough moments you know i'm like so like i'll crush you that i give you a reason i'll prove a point like i'm really competitive and so i'm all about proving points just to prove points and this is like i am powerless to prove this point like there's nothing i can do or say like there's your show um and I, and I use this story because years later, I end up reaching out to, you know, the manager and we talked about it. And interestingly enough, they knew exactly. It was after I published. An I article. Lo- I've never met anyone else that has done this to go back to these oh. people with these hard conversations. I encourage people to do this all the time. I can't believe you did that. That's awesome. OK, oh. continue. It was, it was like, oh, I was laying on me. I'm like, I got to get this off. Yeah, it's funny because they knew exactly like when I call after they read the article, they knew exactly what I was talking about. Like they they just knew exactly. And in that moment, it was just like it was tough, but they got it in that moment and apologized and was just like really empathetic. And man, it felt it felt good after I did it. But probably one of the the toughest conversations that I had ever had because it was just being close to me. It was like, literally like this is yeah, it's your identity. You had me at, this is where I grew up. This is my identity. And yeah. this is how it's being, yeah. even our money is no good. Like Jesus Christ. Yep. And to not get paid on it. <gasps> it was a fight. Oh, I had to fight. Like I can't tell you how many times I had to like fight to do my process, but like fighting to do my process was different from like this moment that just like, this is my identity. And it was sucky because like the business they end up like not running the business and the business, you know, when I close them and talk to them, they were excited to work with us. They were like excited, like, man, this business called me and wants to work with me. And I have to go back and be like, we don't want your business anymore. That is, Oh my God. Yeah. Like, I'm like, <gasps> I didn't even call back. I was like, didn't do, I was just like, I, I'd have had a heart to call back and say like, yeah, we're not going to Like I just had a heart. I, I avoided emails because I was just like that crushed. Like, yeah. Toughest conversation of my sales career. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, one piece of advice about uncomfortable conversations. Oh, have them like, Oh, like speak of psychological health. And you talk about like, it's a, uh, I mean, it, it, you got to think like we all have a breaking point and like, you know, if we had to put a number on it, like what, what's your breaking point? You know, mine is probably like, you know, one to a hundred mine is probably like 82. Right. And like, what is 82? Like, I don't know. But like 82 is my number. <laughs> Can we keep the scale of on a scale of one to 10? Like, like okay, once sure. we get into eight. the hundreds. Sure. Eight. Scale <laughs> eight of one to two. 10. Eight is my breaking point. Right. <laughs> and like you got and it. And it goes up and down and you got to be able to like the longer you don't have uncomfortable conversations. It's almost just like a garbage can where it's just like it's filling up, filling up, filling up. And you're not not taking your garbage can to the corner. Like no garbage day is coming. And it just slowly starts to get really, Toxics, really, really yeah, heavy. Through yeah, your system. It impacts your your posture, your heart, your joints, your teeth, your clenching. Your breathing starts to you hold your breath like it impacts everything. And it becomes, and I feel like this is what the problem, just like so many people not getting the garbage out, then you become polar, which is like, now you're triggered by every little thing, something that wouldn't have bothered you like, you know, a couple of years ago, and you would have been able to like deal with in a simple conversation. Now you're just polar where I can't say anything from you because you've let all of this garbage just 
how manifest and i was yeah, like it dilute it's it yeah. everything wow that's such an now excellent got, point i've never maggots. heard it like that yeah maggots <laughs> garbage can and it's like mildew and it's just like like if you would have dumped the garbage can and you would have had you got maggots you got all of the just ugh. oh my god maggots ugh. i thought you said baggage maggots is even no, better maggots. oh yeah, my god <laughs> like, like you don't you're gonna have maggots you got uh, dead old meat sitting at the bottom of your garbage can this is like nasty so oh my god oh my god for anybody that's listening and curious about how to get rid of that garbage i would highly encourage you to seek out a cbt cognitive behavior therapy uh or therapist this is like performance coaching it's not like freud where someone's going to try to convince you you're trying to sleep with your mother or father depending on your gender this is how do you get your baggage out and and here are the tools that you can you can build up and practice so that you can learn to do it and keep the fucking house clean on the regs by yourself. And so not all therapy is created equal. Same thing with performance coaching. Um, Larry Long Jr. comes to mind. Uh, <laughs> okay, Shelton, how can people find you? And then oh. I, I want to know, like, I want to come volunteer. Like, what do you you need to tell me what what type of program you're looking oh, yeah. for? Yep. So everybody can come volunteer. Like, don't even like I got plenty of volunteer opportunities. I'll tag you on a LinkedIn post uh, right after we get off. But easiest way to connect with me, LinkedIn. So like I'm not like don't send me one of those like I like, oh, like I was scrolling through. Like, I hate those generic things. I probably won't connect with you. Just like connect with me. So I heard your podcast and like, boom, that's it. Like, I don't need don't sales me on why we should connect. Like, I hate that crap. Like, it, it, it drives me nuts. Uh, but then reworktraining.org if you want to come volunteer salesfortheculture.com if you like man want to help and support the community be a part of something big salesfortheculture.com but like yeah man just connect me on LinkedIn like let's have a conversation like don't do the like let's be real friends for real and, and keep a conversation going excellent I'm all for it excellent listener friends if you've got any capacity to do this and support this man's mission like get your ass over to rework Thank you. Um, Shelton, this was excellent. This was amazing. Thank you for, again for not only what you're doing, but the time investment here. And, uh, you know, I hope that you had as much fun as I did. I did. I did. I did. Yay. All right, listeners, you guys are the best too. Thank you for hanging around for the remainder of the conversation. Truth, love, and joy, friends, and happy selling. Goodbye, Shelton. See you. Man, that was heavy, but necessary, you know, important, important stuff being thrown around. Virtues that we as humans can build a sturdy foundation on. I heard words like trust. I heard words like action. I heard words like consistency. And uh, I think this is important, but I, I also live in the real world, right? Where I trust that the action Amy didn't take was to consistently feed the dog or file her legal disclaimer paperwork from all the unnecessary risks she takes on a weekly basis. Karen is gonna be pissed. Karen! All right, friends. The only way this works as a hotline is if we find some people to come play. Anybody who's interested or brave enough or desperate enough, because let's be serious, that's where it's at. Everything you need to know is in the show notes. Yeah, call, absolutely. Call in. Don't have enough to do? You want a couple of books to read? Amy can boss you around for a couple hours? Yeah, please. By all means, call. If you like what you're hearing or are excited for this shit show and where it's going to go, 
Definitely follow us on whatever podcast device is your preference, even though I, I seriously have a hard time identifying with anything non-Spotify, but you know, I guess I'll come to terms with that. If you find any value in things that we're talking about, do tell a friend. I consider that the highest honor. Of course, there's always the public review of any kind, although part of me thinks that I should not ask that until we're out of beta. Just a note for sponsors from Karen and Pete down in Legal, we are anxious to receive your call. And if you are looking to help or join the cause or create change in a positive way, please reach out to anyone but me because I have enough to do. And Amy will definitely be interested in taking your money to help more people, which is what we do here. You know, stuff, legal stuff. You know, it's pretty crazy. I still can't believe people listen to shit I say. Yeah, like there, there's certainly a kernel of truth somewhere in there, but you know, it's, it's just, it's wrapped up in a story. Order the dog food, Amy. Order it. Chewy.com. Possible sponsor. Lola, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, baby. I love you. Here, take some pets. Come, come sit up on my lap. I don't know about you listeners, but I enjoy my podcast on Stitcher. I mean, I don't have a premium account because I'm holding out for sponsorship. Hey, Stitcher, looking at you. Also, I believe we mentioned Chewy, so there will be a link to them in the show notes, even though we are not sponsored by them, and I bought my dog food at Target this week because it was on sale and I saved on shipping. All right, friends. Thank you for listening to the conversation. For more ridiculousness, check out the extended cut of the outro. And that's a wrap. I can't. I can't. I can't. So this is Pete, your disclaimer specialist, coming to you at the super secret disclaimer portion of the show because this is a pod about transparency and difficult conversations. And with everyone being so open and honest, um, I must be. So here goes. Um, as the outroer to the outroee, I'm sorry. I apologize. You know, I, I misled you intentionally. As your attorney, I must confess that I am not a fucking attorney. Um, I have not passed the bar exam in the state in which I live. I uh, have never represented anyone well in anything, let alone in a court of law. Um, but again, these are difficult conversations that we're, Amy's having with, with her guests, and, and I lied. And I should tell you that. I should be open and honest because, you know, we have been. So we can all be better. We can all do better together. And now I'm just rambling at this point. It's just, who cares? It's an outro, right? Like, this is just going to fade into blackness like the Mars rover, maybe a little bit less sad. That was fucking sad. Oh, let's not be that sad. Come on, guys. We can do better.